Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right. Okay. Oh, I got to. Oh, I'll do that later. Um, okay. So we are starting a uh, new, not a new series. This is a series I did several years ago that I'm bringing back, mainly because I just like the title so much. Uh, and it's called uh, For the Bible Tells Me So, which you get from the song if you ever went to uh, vacation Bible school, which still is the three words that become less fun with each word. Vacation, interested. Bible, maybe. School, I'm gone, right? So um, I stole that from a comedian. I don't know who I got that from, but um, my timing's better. So um, uh, in the Vacation Bible School, you'd sing the song, uh, uh, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, for the Bible tells me so. And how does the Bible inform us that Jesus loves us? Because if you've spent any time in the Bible for, like, minutes, you're going to see things about assault. You're going to see things about genocide. You're going to see things um, about uh, floods that take out entire worlds or world, all right? You're going you're gonna to see a lot of confusing things. And it, again, um, one thing I love about the Bible is that it is um, conflicting, it is messy, it is nuanced, it is beautiful, and can be liberating, which is really good news because so am I. I can be all those things. And I appreciate the humanness of the Bible um, because it gives me permission to be human. And there's times when it comes to spirituality that we think we have to transcend ourselves in order to be something that God might love. I have to be something other than me or the uh, fullness of me plus. I have to be extra. Then I'm a really good, sacred, holy, whatever word, uh, word you want to use. And what the Bible says is that you are a hot mess and you are deeply loved all at the same time. And so my goal as a pastor is to never, it feels weird when I say that. I don't call myself a pastor a lot, but I happen to be one. Um, my goal as a, a pastor, um, as, or as a Christian influencer is what I'm calling myself now. <laughs> I'm going to workshop this until I find something that we don't all laugh at. That's not true. <laughs> um, uh, my, my goal is never to get all of us arriving at the same point about what we think about God, doctrine, Bible, theology, politically, socially. No, that is, um, I don't want anything to do with that. And I've been around enough spiritual communities where you have to, like, all arrive at the same spot. Um, I don't know. I'll tell you a story. Um, we were uh, hanging out when we met some new friends, and they found out we're pastors, and they of course, people then tell you all, like, the traumatic stories that they have from church. They're like, this is why I'm never going back to church. I'm like, oh, this is a great talk. And uh, um, they were uh, at a church, and the pastor's message said um, that you have to believe in creation, meaning that, um, Jeff, that the earth is 6,000 years old. And you have to believe in it. And if you don't, well, then you are um, not a real Christian. And the, the couple, the, the wife or the woman, um, works in environmental science. And looked at her partner and says, let's go. And they got right in the middle message and just walked right out the door 
because, and I said I would have done the same thing, right? Like, if, if I get up here and say this is the only way to think about God, this is the only way to believe, well, then that, I'm, that's not the kind of church that uh, I, w- I want to lead. So I am aware in this room and those who are watching on, the millions of people watching online, um, is, is that uh, we're all in different places with the Bible, right? Some of you have like, I read it when I went to vacation Bible school and I've never picked it up again. And you're in good company. Maybe there was a season, it was really relevant to you. And you, maybe you read it often or you studied it or you, you read books or you went to uh, what we used to call small groups and, and like read the Bible collectively. And then you, you just stopped for no reason. You just put it down and haven't picked it up. You're in excellent company. If you have put the Bible down because it has been um, used against you, right? It's been a weapon against you uh, because of the way you identify, the way you walk into a room, the way you love, the way that you think politically, the way that you worship. Um, the people who have shared the most uh, like, of, of why they had to put the Bible down, one is purity culture. I have a friend who said, I'm in my 40s, and I'm still dealing with shame about my body because what people told me who I was as a woman when I was a teenager, right? And put all the problems on me because I'm a woman. And they're like, I'm never picking up that book again. I'm like, you probably shouldn't then, right? My goal isn't trying to get my dad to read the Bible more. My goal is to help people. <laughs> Denny, he's like, what? I read it every day, four hours. Um, my goal is to help you be... <laughs> My goal is to help you be your fullest self and to flourish and thrive as, as who you are. But what I hope I can do is uh, help us maybe reimagine what the Bible could be, right? Maybe to rethink, and for those who feel inspired to pick it back up, to think critically about the Bible. Um, and what we're, where we're going to start, and I, I, I laughed when I was um, coming up with this message, is because it's one of the most problematic people in the Bible, and uh, his name is Paul, all right? Anyone here a big fan of Paul? Anyone like pro-Paul? Dave, he is, yeah, okay. So uh, Paul wrote uh, most of the New Testament, and they're called epistles, which is just a churchy word for letters, right? He wrote a bunch of letters to these groups um, that the Greek word is called ekklesia, and I just want to say that because I paid a lot of money to learn that word. So um, there's all these communities, some that he started, some he didn't, that he writes these letters, and we read, and it's formed a lot of how we do church today right? Um, but there's a couple things I want to like share with you about Paul so that when we read, and we're going to read a little bit of Paul, when we read Paul, we can actually intellectually use our brain. We can critically think and say, oh, if Paul's saying this, what does that really mean? So there's three things you need to know about Paul, and two of them I'm going to talk more on. First one is this. You don't need to like Paul. You don't even need to believe what Paul's saying is all true. You don't, Right? Paul, I believe, is a historical person who wrote a bunch of letters, and um, he has his way of seeing and his way of believing in his, in his time and place uh, of his cultural lenses and his bias and form how he writes these letters. Um, and maybe some of you, or maybe um, your heart's racing a little bit because you feel like I'm committing heresy by saying you don't have to like Paul, you don't need, even need to believe everything Paul says. And that's because um, you were handed a way of thinking the Bible, and that word is called infallible. Anyone ever heard of that word before? To, to say the Bible is infallible, uh, and I would say in the last, realistically, 100, 150 years, have changed that word of the, the Bible, every word is literally true, right? Um, I'd say this is one of the most violent and toxic things that um, 
I'll just say Christianity has produced, and, and here's why. I actually heard a, 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 a Christian influencer right, um, say uh, on, um, I don't remember what I was listening to it, he said, um, God whispered in the ear of Paul and had him write every single letter. That's how we know it's historically and literally true. If that is how um, you want to engage with the Bible, um, it, it can work for you in some parts, but a lot of parts it doesn't. And the reason is because there's things that Paul says, we're going to read one, where it's like he transcends, he breaks through the clouds, and he says these things that are like universal, that I would say are universally true and like point to the person of Jesus, right? Uh, that is a very Jesus-looking statement. And then in the next breath, Paul can say, hey, slaves, be really nice to your masters, right? If you read that now, right, if you got a work email that said that now, you'd be like, hmm, come again? <laughs> did, you, did I just read that correctly, right? And we can do the same thing with Paul now. Now, if we believe that back to infallibility, if everything is literally true in the Bible, um, then when you read the book of Revelations, has anyone read the book of Revelations lately? Don't, all right? <laughs> Just, and I think it's a very inspiring book. But if you read it and you take it literally word for word for true, which there's a whole, people make millions of dollars off of talking about this, um, it gives you permission to be um, horribly violent towards people who think differently than you, who believe differently than you. Because in that book, you can argue, in that letter, you can argue that there is a pit of fire that people who don't believe or worship or see the divine in the same way as you as being less than and worth dying and burning forever. Yay, right? That, it's, it's not a positive message. If you take the Bible as infallible, literally true for every single word, that gives you permission to commit genocide. It gives you to own people. It gives you permission to, uh, for leaders to um, commit sexual um, assault over and over again because it's in the Bible. The Bible says it. I believe it for the Bible tells me so. Is that how we have to think about the Bible? I would say the Bible is inspired, absolutely inspired by God. But in the same way that you're inspired to lead your classroom, right? In the same way that, uh, that I make a meal for my family because I want them to experience something good and love. In the same way of my man Yuli over here wearing his killer boots, right? And the things that he says because he loves, is inspired by God to go and do good and beautiful things. But when we say something's infallible, then we take the words of Paul and we put them like on just right next to Jesus. And I don't worship Paul. I'm sad. If you're here and you want to worship Paul, I can find you a couple churches. Um, I, I do not worship Paul. I find deep inspiration in his writings. But I, I'm not going to hold everything saying yes. So what do we do with that then? Which I'm going to show you. And it's called decentering. And it's, I, I'm a fan. So that's the first thing, is when you read Paul, not everything you have to say, Ugh. you can actually, if you're reading the Bible and you have some feelings, trust those feelings. That is informing something from your past, your trauma, your education, your intellect, of something saying either this is really good or you don't have to make yourself say, I guess I have to agree with this. You, you literally do not have to. Second thing you need to know is uh, Paul is, um, was, is, is Jewish. I mean, he's not alive anymore, but, um, and he's a Roman citizen. And we could go into the weeds on this, and we're not going to. I actually practice my message and I got into the weeds and ended up being like 50 minutes long. I'm like, I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about Paul in Rome. <laughs> Let me tell you about Rome. Um, but essentially what Paul views as what a good person is, is very much of a Roman citizen. 
of that you are going to be stoic, that you're going to be slow to anger, you're going to be very um, not, uh, what do you call, um, you're going to be very aware of what you give yourself to, which is very, very Roman. And Paul has this, uh, um, this way of thinking of Roman citizenship is the way that we're going to bring peace and understanding and inclusion in the world. It's very, very informed. I'll share that a little bit later. Third one you need to know, and this is, I don't know if everyone knows this, Paul is convinced, and you can read in all his letters, that the day of the Lord is happening any minute. Right? The day of the Lord is uh, what they believed is that um, Jesus sent into heaven, that Jesus would come back, and uh, uh, what's his name? Caesar, right, would be off the throne, and Jesus would come back and establish the kingdom of God. Paul is, um, you can argue that Paul is a universalist. Paul says multiple times that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, right? Saying there's going to come a time where everybody gets to experience the beauty and the goodness of this Christ and this kingdom. If that's true, right, then what Paul says, how this informs us, is that if Paul really believes in his lifetime that Christ is coming back, there's some things Paul lets ride, there's some things that Paul just like lets send the back burner because he has these incredible statements and ideas of what it means to be in Christ, but then very rarely in his letters does Paul put any teeth to it, which I'll explain in a little bit. But that gives us an opportunity to enact that. So we're going to practice this, right? In Galatians, Paul writes this letter. And Galatians is in um, uh, the, the, the northern part of Asia Minor, um, and some scholars believe others, but I choose it because it's where um, the, the Celtics are. And I love the idea of Paul, like, like influencing and being a part of all the tradition they have. The mysticism is just so beautiful. Um, and this is the only letter that Paul writes where he doesn't start, like, saying, oh, I love you and I'm so thankful for you. Paul writes this letter, and he has a tone, right? He is extra because there's a group of people that pervert what he says perverted his gospel. And this group of people said, hey, if you want to be a part of this Christ following, you want to be a part of this good and beautiful community, that's awesome. But you also need to be circumcised, right? Which, if you were part of the, the Hebrew people, that was their um, tradition. And Paul is angry, saying, no, we have that. That is our story. That is our tribe. That is how we have connected with the divine. But that doesn't mean it has to be for everyone else. And so through this whole letter, Paul is trying to reintroduce and redirect people um, into this way of belonging. And in chapter 3, it's like the capstone. And he says, in Christ Jesus, which is very um, uh, oh, Paul, in different letters, he uses the word of how we are to put on the robe of Christ. There's a lot of like being in or being hidden or putting a heart or mind on Christ. There's this very much of like this all-encompassing of yourself into Jesus. But he says, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male or female. There's neither um, Jew or Greek or Jew or Gentile. And slave, enslaved or free. Which, when I read this, um, I laughed because I'm like, this sounds very all lives matter. Right? Doesn't it? It sounds very all lives matter. Like, what's your race? We're the human race, my man. That's what we are, right? Which is problematic of when those in power say, um, can't we all just get along? Right? There's intersectionality of where, it, where real life bumps up where someone like me, middle-aged white guy who loves golf, right, can kind of float through life in a very different manner than someone um, who is a person of color. Right? Two different experiences. And so um, what are we to do with this then? Right? If you 
put the spotlight on those in power, if you put the spotlight on um, those who have the privilege, it really can be like, um, like if I told my, my partner, Nikki, and said, hey, Nikki, there's no male or female. It's just great, right? Just stop making a big deal about it. I won't make a big deal about being a man. You don't make a big deal about being a woman, and we'll all just continue with our lives. And who does that benefit? Not my marriage. I can tell you that. <laughs> right? It keeps this, if the spotlight's on me, it keeps the power to me, and I can just say those things. But if we put the spotlight and we center, right, females, especially at this time, it's a very patriarchal society. I'd argue it's still very patriarchal today. But if you put the spotlight on the women, it completely changes how you read this text. Because what Paul, and again, this is like the, the liberating thing I, I take from Paul. What, what Paul is saying is all the systems in place that have perpetuated for you staying low, all the ways this system has made sure that you stay quiet and you stay nice and you stay silent. Paul is saying, this is the song of Mary. Mary w- sings this beautiful song of where she says, the, power, the, the powerful and the beautiful people, what we call beautiful people, will become crashing down, and those who are uh, in the mud will be lifted out, and they'll be brought to the table, and they'll be fed. And those powerful people will be left out in the cold unless they want to sit at the table and say that we are brothers and sisters, that we are equal right? Paul, for a moment, is giving voice to that to women. And how we can use this is in 1 Corinthians, there is this group of women, and if you go back and read it, it's, it's, um, it's in, very fascinating. There's this group of women that Paul is trying to say, like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, and be humble, be stoic, and be um, quiet in church. Let's not talk in church, and let's, like, let's just be really good people, and if you decenter Paul and you focus on this women in light of everything else that Paul said, these Corinth women are prophesying in their church. They're, they're, they're speaking to this mystical language of what this kingdom of God is for them. They were not Jewish. They, did not come, they came from a completely different um, faith background, different lifestyle, and they're finding a belonging and an inclusion in the ways of Christ that are radically different from everyone else. And if we're going to take the words of Paul of saying, to these women and saying, you get to be who you are. Instead of asking these women to be small, saying, I can imagine these, these women saying, we're being our fullest self. We're singing these beautiful songs that are true to us and finding transformation in our community. What Paul says um, uh, in Colossians, he says, all things are yours, past, present, future, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, Paul is saying, this wild thing we call human existence, all of it belongs if you move in divine love. And if we place that to those Corinth women, Paul is trying to get them to move back towards more of like a Roman citizen, like low position. And what they're saying is, Paul, we spent our whole life in a low position. It's time for us to ascend. It's time for us to be heard, which is very consistent with Galatians. And then if you go to the Jew or Gentile or Jew or Greek, um, and you decenter it from the, the, from the, the Jewish lifestyle of the Hebrew people, and what Paul is saying, this whole argument of them trying to say, no, you have to be like us and have circumcision and follow these laws. Paul is arguing, saying, that's for us. That is a part of our story. That is that the law and all that has benefited us and will continue to benefit us. But we don't need to put that on everyone else. Why? Because all things are yours. Different ways of thinking about God, different ways of embodying God, different ways of believing and worshiping God. It should look widely different from McGregor, Minnesota, right, to Bangladesh. 
and what they find truth and wisdom in what God is or what the divine love is should be radically different because they're radically different places. And for a moment, right, Paul is like giving permission. Paul is saying this is true. This is good. And then the last one is the most um, problematic, right, because he says there's neither uh, enslaved or free, which I imagine when someone was reading this letter and they were an enslaved person, they might say, hey, uh, hey Paul, I got, I got a problem with this, right? Big difference between enslaved and free. So what is, what is Paul pointing to? This is harder, right? Um, what, what I believe Paul is pointing to, and what I would say what Christ is pointing to, is that the way you've been defined for generations, the way that you have been told this is your value, we, we value off your body. What I believe what Christ would be saying, what Paul for a moment is shining light on, is saying that doesn't have to define who you are. There's a culture, there's a system in place that dehumanizes you to a product. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying, what Paul for a moment, I believe, is enlightening, is saying, is that you're so much more than that, and that there's hope. There's hope. Paul, um, uh, Paul in his letter to um, uh, uh, Philemon, he meets this slave in jail. And this person who was enslaved ran away from his master, Philemon. Paul says, hey, Philemon, take him back as a brother. And you read it, and you're like, oh, Paul is finally bringing change to what needs to be is liberating people. Paul then goes, receive him as a brother and as a slave. And that book, that letter has been used to justify human trafficking for generations right? So Paul has opportunity to make change and enact change, and he doesn't because he believes that the day of the Lord is coming. What does that mean for us? We can take the words of Paul seriously. We can take the words of Christ seriously, and we can do something that maybe Paul couldn't. We can bring hope. We can bring justice. We can bring faith, and we can bring belonging. We can bring inclusion. And so what I choose to find out of this Galatians, and I, when I read Paul, I, like, I like carry that little statement with me. Whenever I read Paul, I'm like, this is what I'm choosing Paul to be, believe, is that there's this wild, wild inclusion. So here's my invitation to all of you. First is this. If you have been labeled, you have been tagged, you have been deemed, that all you are is by the thing that you did, the thing that you produce. If you have been told that you are less than evil because of how you choose to show up in a room, if you have been told that you are some bleeding heart liberal because you choose that women should have access to health care any way that they want, if you've been told that you are less than or excluded from your family or your work or um, uh, your group of friends because of how you choose to believe or what you choose not to believe, you're an excellent company. And the way that the world tries defining us and the way that the world tries to limit you or limit us, you don't have to be defined by that. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if that means some inclusion or means some belonging to you, I'm going to ask that you just, like, you, you hold that for yourself. Let's pray. So God, I thank you that we get to be fully human. And I thank you that in one moment we can feel like we're a hot mess. <laughs> in one moment I feel like we can just burn it all to the ground. In another moment we can find some deep inspiration in what we call divine love. And what we call like 
neighborhood church and what we call maybe as being Jesus-looking people. And so where we have feel that we have to show up in a room differently or we feel we have to be less than, we have to be quiet, I ask God that you would, you would continue to inspire us to be our fullest self. And for those who feel it's time for them to ascend, it's time for them to get loud, it's time for them to uh, share their voice, I pray that you would empower them fully to do that. And maybe for some of us where we do need to descend, where we do need to pause, we do need to take a back seat and center other stories, other voices, other bodies. Give us the wisdom of how to do that. And lastly, in light of what we shared during announcements, we ask for justice. In the same way, he says there's neither free or enslaved, and Paul has opportunity. I pray that we can be the people of justice, that we can speak up, that we can use our intellect, we can use our leadership so that we can make a more equitable and more inclusive world. So use us to be love and use us to do good. And we trust you and we love you. Amen. All right, friends. Well, thank you for spending time with me. If there's something, like I went through a lot there, and that was way more teaching, not very preaching. If there's things that you like to talk or process or something I said, you're like, I don't know about that. I love processing all those Bible theological things. And secondly, you have about like 10 minutes before I start this business meeting. So if you don't want to be accidentally feel guilty, I like, can't leave now. You have, well, you have about 10 minutes. All right, enjoy your weekend, friends. <laughs>